Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Jeff Henderson. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Launch University. Jeff Henderson with you. David Farmer and Kevin Jennings were minus Shane Benson. Anybody seen Shane lately? Not lately. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shane, if you're out there, we're missing you. Kevin, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little intimidated. David has his very healthy uh, organic kombucha drink here. You and I have nothing here. So are you feeling intimidated like I am? A little bit. I wish I had like a, a nice launch you mug to hold. <laughs> right. I feel like that would be very official. So very... Kombucha, not coffee, right? Perfect. Yeah, yeah I love yeah. that. So guys, today we're talking about something that's really near and dear to the heart of Launch University, which is we want to help turn your ideas and whatever those intentions are, turn them into reality and sustain them. And one of the best books that I've read is this book called Making Ideas Happen by Scott Belsky. And it, it, he talks about overcoming obstacles uh, that, that are standing in your way between your vision and reality. So we're going to talk a little bit about this. We're going to talk about uh, the book, but just some of the things that we've learned. So this is kind of a free-flowing, hey, here are some tips to making your ideas happen. And, and the, I think we would agree, David, the, having the idea is kind of the fun part. For sure. But it's really, I love this concept of, okay, but how do you make the ideas happen? And in your role at Chick-fil-A, that's, you know, it's one thing to come up with a menu strategy or a customer service strategy, but then you got to make it happen. So we're going to dive into kind of some practical uh, tips and insights on this. But one of those, David, you actually taught our Gwinnett Church staff just earlier today, and that was on time blocking. So I'd love to kind of unpack this a little bit on that and some other key insights about how you help make your own ideas happen. So tell us about what time blocking is and why it's so effective. Well, I'll first say, going back to your introduction, that typically the challenge is not we don't have enough ideas. Right. It is literally how do you take an idea and to the title, the subtitle of Belsky's book, overcome those obstacles that get in between the vision and the reality. Right. We all have those obstacles. That's where you get tripped up. So um, I have found that one of the challenges associated with getting something done and really kind of following through on a, a, a well-intentioned commitment is just having enough time on task. You have to almost sit down and do a little bit of a, a, a budget, just like you would financially. You got to do that from a time standpoint. What would it actually take? How many man hours is it going to take to get this to, to key stages of development and ultimately to get it all the way uh, to launch phase? And then once you do that, you have to be, I think you literally have to start getting into your calendars, whatever your calendar tool is. I happen to use my, I use Outlook and say, am I setting that time aside? Mm -hmm. And so one of the, the, the just techniques that I've started to use uh, um, is to literally block time in advance. I may not know exactly what's going to happen in this two-hour block or four-hour block, but I know I'm going to need blocks. And so I go out and I basically make an appointment with myself to work on the project and I schedule them well out. If I wait uh, until I get into that week, um, it's probably going to be too late. Somebody's going to grab the time. I'm not going to have enough discretion, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to doom my project because I'm not going to be able to put the time on task into it. And it's important to actually name what this time block is versus just yes. margin. Because if you if you name it margin on your calendar, you were saying earlier. It's easier for people to actually th that have access to your calendar to see that. So you want to name it something that's really important. Yeah, you need to be as specific as you can and treat it like a legit appointment that you need yeah. to honor. You, you bring up margin. I do feel like 
Um, there are things that happen that we can not anticipate. It's just life. It's going to come up. You're going to need to respond to a situation. Um, so I actually try to build some margin in, and that's tough, and it tends to get squeezed out at times. But as a rule, I'd love to have about 20% margin built in uh, just to handle uh, all the unexpected issues that really do require your attention. But this is about being intentional and and taking charge and not just hoping this happens. We like to say hope's not a strategy. It's right. not a very good one. So this is this is taking charge and saying if this is going to happen, I know I'm going to need to do this, so let me go ahead and allocate the time. So David, what I'm hearing um is that one of the big upsides for time blocking, at least using a calendar like Outlook, it helps you visualize your capacity. Yep. And so so I would imagine that a person like yourself at some point you are face to face with what you can't do. Yeah. And so how do you how do you respond in that? So, you know, you have another project or another idea that maybe you have or someone else has kind of said, hey, we need you to lead this. Um, and what, you know, what's your mindset when you start to see that that capacity is already taken up? Do you kind of say, well, is it do you resort to delegating? I'm, I would just love to kind of at least even think about that when it comes to the idea component, because I think people who lead projects like you and being that you you led innovation practices before those you start to be part of the the tip of the spear on a lot of those new things yeah okay so let me let me take this issue of um how do you know um if you're over committing or you're able to sure. you're going to be able to follow through on what you've agreed to you have to think how many hours per week am i putting into this work maybe you're part-time and you've got 24 hours or you're full-time and you're somewhere between 40 50 whatever it may be, hours a week. I almost think pie chart. Uh, how would I carve my hours up on a pie chart, theoretically? What's an ideal week look like? Or if weeks can vary, what's an ideal month look like? And think, what's the slice I can allocate to this big project, knowing everything else that's on my plate? That's how I determine, Kevin, if I'm oversubscribed and I and if I need to tell somebody I'm sorry, but I just don't, the only way I would be able to do that is to let an existing commitment um, fall to the floor. And I'm not willing to do that right now. I'll have to schedule that for later. It also can help you figure out uh, there's no way. I, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, put 12 pounds of stuff into the eight-pound sack. Not going to work. And you've got to go back and, and renegotiate either for more time or you've got to negotiate the load and, and get rid of something. Now, I know that you plan out your year around the fall of each year, so you're planning out. But there's a difference between that and time blocking. So how far out do you time block? Well, every, everybody's life is a little bit different, but I have a lot of meetings and appointments. So it's fall right now. So I'm actually working on 2018, and I do go ahead and, and block things like vacations and travel takes more time. I need consecutive days in a row. Like I know if I'm going out to the West Coast from Atlanta, I got to have a minimum of three days, ideally a little bit more than that. So I go ahead and try to get those blocks in. And then I do, uh, I block time for big meetings. I block, I target the people that I know I need to connect with and go ahead and try to block uh, opportunities to connect with them. I also know that I need so many hours a week just to to do my part. And so I block that. I make that a legitimate appointment. I don't wait to see what's left over because if that if I do that, I'm, I, I know I'm going to come up short. I will tell you, 
what I'm doing right now is I look four weeks out and I get deep into the weeds for four weeks and start figuring out what my calendar is going to look like. Uh, and, and I block at a smaller level on a rolling four-week basis. Yeah. It reminds me of the quote that Scott Belsky actually had in the book, um, Making Ideas Happen. He said, the greatest leaders are optimistic about the future, but pessimistic about tasks. Leaders should be excited about the potential of new ideas, but they should be deeply concerned about how to manage their ideas as projects. And I, and I hear that's what you're Hey, I, I think these ideas are worth pursuing, but now I've got to get they're just not going to happen by accident. Yes. And if I can add to this, I do, I do this planning work. It does not mean that all my weeks or days go according to plan. <laughs> right. Okay. They typically do not. But here's what I've learned. I do so much more because of the planning. I'm able to get in so much more. I'm set up for it. I'm prepped for it. So much more than I would have without the plan. So even though it's hard to stick right to the plan... Uh, there's still a payoff. Yeah. And you know, Kevin, you talked about uh, this this whole idea that you thought was intriguing when in terms of nagging. Yeah. So talk about that. So so one part, when I first read uh, Making Ideas Happen, I was really focused on getting my own ideas off the ground. Um, but I was in a position where I was just starting to come into some influence of the organization I was working with at the time. And I was leading a project where we were integrating some marketing technology into the company. And... It was talking about when you're working with people, like what psychological le- like levers can you pull to make things happen? And one thing Scott really um, learned through his research was you need people to buy in and not so much of the typical, you know, can I persuade you to agree with me, but buy in saying when someone gets an assignment, it is their assignment, which means that their ability or inability to own that is what makes or breaks its completion. And so he said, hey, when you give someone an assignment, they need to give you a verbal or written confirmation that they accept the assignment. It's no longer, here is your your task. It's, will you do this? And I think that's, first of all, I think as a leader, that's, that's, that's very humbling to say, I'm going to make sure I honor the power people in my team have of their own time. Um, but once someone actually accepts the assignment, that's when you can progress. And the good thing about it psychologically, he, he said, was that their acceptance of it makes it their commitment. And so then when you follow up because of the clarity that came with them owning the assignment and its, and, and its target date, he calls them instead of deadlines. I think, I think he says about the word deadline and just the, the feelings around deadlines. So he said target date um, that someone has the ability to, when you follow up to then feel like you're, you're somewhat nagging them. But research he was saying was showing that nagging was actually somewhat effective. Just the 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 consistent follow up. Hey, want to get an ETA on that? Hey, how's it going? Can I help? Hey, where's that? Hey, when can we expect it? I want to make sure we have clarity on expectations. It actually created a, a sense of urgency in others, um, and I've seen leaders do it to me very well, um, and I and I've tried to replicate that. So I thought that was really powerful to say. Can't, nagging is actually an effective project management strategy uh, when it comes to following up. Let people know that it's still on your radar, keeps it on their radar. Um, that was pretty pretty cool to me. It's accountability, right? Indeed. Yeah. It, yeah, essentially. 
And I, I think accountability is typically a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, so I thought that was I thought it was fascinating to use the word nag first of all, and, and just kind of <laughs> yeah. own it and say, yeah, I know I'm nagging you, and yeah. that's a part of how this works. That usually that word usually doesn't have a lot of positive connotations to it, but it, one of the rare times that it does. Um, I, one of the things I really believe in, though, and you t- touched on it, uh, where, is this concept of deadlines. And even creating artificial made-up deadlines that, that now you, when I say that, that, is, that still means that you got to have some credibility to those deadlines. But I think those deadlines kind of get people to focus and say, hey, this doesn't mean the thing's launching at this time, but this is an artificial deadline that this is a first step toward that. Absolutely. And actually, Scott talked about that in the book as well when it came to about the, the value of milestones, and saying that that's the reason why a milestone matters. Um, otherwise, we you know we have, we have a, a gigantic list of tasks, or as he calls, action steps, mm-hmm. which which are meaningful, but ultimately we can't measure our progress toward the completion date because we haven't set up any ways for us to know: are we ten percent complete? Are we twenty five percent complete? Um, and that actually leads me to something he talked about was something called the action method. And I think right. I, I know. So Jeff and I, uh, before we start recording, we actually talked about how we both gave his his project management methodology a, a, a try. I can speak from my experiences. Um, so one thing he talks about is saying everything in life is a project. That's actually a quote from the book. If you can own the premise that everything in life is a project, then you can start to think about things differently. And he said that what what people most people don't do is recognize that while ideas pop up in our heads all the time, so do action steps. We think about things we need to get done all the time. We need to be able to have a we need to be able to have a, a place to capture action steps. The same way we do with ideas and say, hey, I don't know exactly when this gets done in the timeline. I just know it's supposed to be done. So let me write this down so me and the team or, or I can later on sit down by myself and organize the action steps sequentially um, or by priority, but at least I've written them down. So um, that's the first action steps. He said the second thing is you need every every project has references. So there are just general information you need to have for the project to work. So um, for Launch University, when we're, when we're meeting about things, some references might be a website that Jeff saw online that he felt was going to maybe inform a new, a new idea we were going to work on. And I might see another company's product launch that I want to bring over and have us look at as a team. Um, those are references. And then we have plenty of ideas that he calls back burner. So it's like, okay, hey, I have a new idea that might be used in the future. I know it's not applicable right now, but I want to put it on the back burner. So I think those three are his big categories. So Jeff, I'd love to just hear from you. Like, how do you manage your ideas now? I mean, you obviously read this book a long time ago. But how did that inform what you do today, and, and what do you, how do you manage your, your projects now? Well, it's interesting. I think it's always a work in progress. I, I tried the action method and uh, worked for a while, and then actually we do base camp for Launch University, which I think has had some level of success <laughs> here, I, and that's probably more on us than, than base camp. Absolutely. It's, it's great. And, uh, but I still use this Tommy Newberry weekly focus uh, that keeps me focused, and the thing is, is that I'm able to transition these. If they don't get checked off, I transition it to this week's weekly focus to next week's weekly focus. And that allows me to get so sometimes so frustrated seeing this thing eight weeks in a row. Like if there, if I do anything this week, I'm going to check this thing off the, off the list. I don't know that that's um, a great system for everybody, but it's been a good system for me. Can I add a principle that I've learned through innovation work that applies to this idea of deadlines? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the principle is that sometimes extreme constraints can lead to dramatic progress and breakthroughs. In other words, let's say you're trying to create something, 
and an extreme constraint might be, what if we gave you a ridiculously low budget? You would have to think about this idea arguably in a much different manner than you would have before. Mm-hmm. It may not be the way you want to ultimately go to market, but it may lead you to uh, a big new idea. Well, the same can be true with deadlines. You can kind of be just sort of plodding along, um, chipping away at it, but you could put an extreme deadline on when you want work done, and that can lead to sort of an intensive session um, where you know you've got to make a lot of progress in a very short period of time, and, and you gain a tremendous amount of momentum and get the breakthrough. Yeah. Well, I, I think Jeff and I can both attest to that one. I mean, working for a church, there's an event every single Sunday mm-hmm. that we've published to the entire world, start times, end times. And so there's this pressure of saying, it doesn't matter what's not figured out on Friday. Something's going to happen on Sunday. <laughs> and, I, and I think that thing can be said, I mean, I tell, I tell authors all the time, publishing your your sharing your publishing date with your with your readers, with your followers, that's great for you. I mean, you now you have, you know, thousands of accountability partners who are who are you know, and Amazon is a ruthless accountability partner. If you promise their customers a book and don't deliver, they hold you accountable. So so there's a really great way to build in that extreme to David's point. And along those lines, a good brainstorming tip or or, or exercise when you begin a if you've got a session, half day session or, you know, retreat or whatever. I've heard this idea that you give each table a brick and say, I want you to come up with as many ideas in a set amount of time, a few minutes, with just one brick. What can you do? Ready, set, go. And the point is, if you can come up with a lot of ideas with just a brick, that's going to allow you to expand even further. So this whole idea, say the principle again, David, because I think it's really important. Yeah, an extreme constraint can force dramatic progress or even a breakthrough. Yeah. So whether it's a budget or you don't have as much time as you thought or you don't have all the resources that you thought at one point you were going to have. Mm-hmm. And, and it, for, it just amps up the intensity and forces you to think about the challenge or approach the challenge in a more aggressive and different manner. Yeah. Now, before we move on, Jeff, you, you alluded to the fact that you use the weekly focus methodology from Tommy Newberry. Um, would you mind just unpacking that just a little bit? Cause I'm sure if I mean, as a listener, someone's probably thinking, well, what is that? That sounds cool. What, what, what right. are you doing that works for you? So walk us through that methodology, if you don't mind, a little bit. Yeah, there are three primary uh, movements in this, this tool, if you will. One is looking back, which is really important, reflecting. And there's a reflection exercise, uh, not just about work, but how are you doing mentally, emotionally, and uh, physical disciplines, spiritual disciplines. And you kind of rate yourself and look back, and then you— Looking back means previous week in this case. Right, right. And so you answer a question, what's one thing that went well? And how can you build on it? And then what's one thing that didn't go so well? And how can you course correct? So that's the first movement in this. Then the second movement... Which, if you, I can interrupt, that's feedback. Yeah. And so you, you go to this broader idea that Belsky's got about getting things done. Getting good feedback along the way is going to be pretty critical. So you're you're just self-assessing in this case. Self-assessing. And, uh, and there's never been a week where I've got, you know, a five on everything. So... Maybe I'm the only one in the world. But, but, I don't think so. Yeah, but, it's, sure. but it's not beating yourself up. It's like, okay, where can I make these course corrections? Then the second movement in this is strategic, pro, uh, strategic action items and strategic relationships, which I love this idea because it's not just the action. You can get so focused on action items and forget people. And so it has a list down there of seven strategic people in your life. It could be a spouse, kids, 
boss, coworker, whatever. And so those are the strategic relationships. And it's not to say it's the only relationships in your life, but in that, in the week ahead, what are these? In fact, you guys were on the list for this week because I knew that we would get together for this. And then the strategic action items. And then on the other side, it allows you at the end to think about uh, what are some new resources you want to, what, what are some uh, clutter projects that you want to get rid of. But ultimately where this leads you to is saying, if this week is a success, what are the three things that you got to have happen? Hmm. So you are able that. to define the week in three bullet points, which is very, very helpful going into the week. And the weeks that I haven't done this, I walk out, I walk into the week a little fuzzy about what is the top priorities. And to Dave, to your point, when life hits and the urgent rises up, the urgent can just swoop in. Yeah, yep. absolutely. No, I, I think that's, that's pretty convicting, but I think that's really helpful because I think people will want to understand like how you process, um, your, your week. I mean, so David, I would love to ask you a question when it comes to the, I mean, if you say, Hey, this is the one thing I know without it, I would not be able to make ideas happen. I mean, if you say, hey, I mean, when I look at all the things I do, all the practices, if there was one essential for your effectiveness, what would it be? Well, I've, I do think where I am constrained the most is time. So for me to make an idea to happen, I've got to figure out where it fits in a priority um, matrix, you know, what, how, how important is it relative to other things I'm pursuing at this point in time. And I love the idea of getting super clear on what the outcomes ought to be. I, I think f for big things, and we try to do big things a lot of time, you gotta, you got to name what the ultimate outcome is, but then chunk it down so that I know, okay, what's the part I've got to do this week? And if I do this this week and I do the critical next thing next week, and I stay on pace, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring down the ultimate objective. I'm going to get it done. So th that's it for me. Uh, making sure it fits in the priority uh, grid, um, thinking about ultimately where, ultimately where I need to be, and breaking it down and then you know, budgeting the right amount of time to get it done. And one of the things I want to make sure, you know, we're, we're talking about this, that it's not so linear and it just does, it, it doesn't happen like exactly the way we were expecting. There, there's certainly ambiguity to this. And uh, in fact, Belsky in that book, he talks about that. He says, the best leaders have a high tolerance for ambiguity. They don't go nuts over the unknown and they don't lose patience when dealing with disappointments. They're able to work with what they know, identify what they don't and make decisions accordingly. So let's talk about as we wrap this up, kind of how you deal with ambiguity and whether it's a product launch, that you guys have tested products and you're, as you test products, you're admittedly saying, we don't know if this product's going to work. So there's ambiguity in that. Kevin, as you've worked with, whether it's a book launch or a product launch, you're in, in the same, same thing. And we're in a, whether we launch a church, launch a series, there's a certain amount of ambiguity. So where does all that play in? Because I know for my staff, sometimes they'll tell me that I'm too comfortable in the gray and they need a little bit more black and white. So that's part of a challenge for me as a leader. I love the gray, but sometimes I think I love it too much. So, but in making ideas happen, there's going to be a certain level of ambiguity. So let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, do you want to start? No, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll keep mine as brief as I can. Um, I think for me, I like making decisions. So I'll say that. I mean, my Myers-Briggs is very clear. 
I like making decisions, even if it's a decision to wait. Because I think so. So sometimes for me, the lack of a decision will create a little bit of that for me. Um, and even just saying, we've decided to accept the grayness of this project. I know this sounds really weird, but for me, that's, that's really actually very assuring uh, when I do that. But I try to look, the, in my mind and in my, pers- my experiences, there's always been one or two variables that are clear. So, for example, hey, will this book sell well? We don't know. Um, are we going to get distribution in this particular store? We or, or in, in the airport? That's perfect example. We're going to get all the airports. We don't know. Will it New York Times? We don't know. But we do know the date is going to be published, and that and that's enough to to of a of a, of a uh, reality that we can kind of shape things around it. So I try to look for the edge of the canvas and say, what are what are my edges that I do know? The price point is going to be this. Okay, that's all I need to know because now with the price point. I can develop marketing that protects our margins. So there's, so there's, I, I look for the for my constraints no matter where they are. That's good, um, and that's always helpful for me to give me the, the borders on my canvas. I, I might say that's where I'd start. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I have a few thoughts on that. Um, one is when I think about innovation process, one of the ways we deal with ambiguity is we don't get too attached to any one idea. Mm-hmm. So there's a concept that we talk about. Um, a funnel versus a tunnel. And here's what I mean. Funnel implies um, we're going to take a lot of ideas through a innovation stage gate process. Some of them are going to filter out along the way. They're not going to make the cut. They won't make it from stage one to stage two or stage two to stage three. Funnel means I don't have that many ideas and I'm kind of betting the, the whole farm on this one that's going to make tunnel. it all the way through. Yeah, I'm sorry, tunnel. Okay. Thank you for holding me straight on that. Tunnel is dangerous because all your chips are in on this one idea, and you tend to lose objectivity when that's the case. Um, But if it's a funnel and a lot of ideas go in at the beginning and only a, a handful make it out the other side, and you can stay agnostic, meaning you don't get too emotionally attached you'll be okay. And um, I would tell you, uh, I had to live this out recently. We tested uh, a soup at Chick-fil-A that I thought was really, really good. It was a vegetarian tomato Asiago soup. Got great feedback um, everywhere we served it, both to customers in some test situations and a lot of our restaurant operators at a big annual meeting. Had these little Parmesan cheese crisps that went in there. It was really, really good. And we put it in restaurants and tested it, and it just didn't perform at a high enough level. And I was honestly surprised, but I have to say I'm agnostic about that. Uh, you know, I got data that says I don't need to take it to the next stage. And I move on because there's going to be another idea and then another idea and another idea. Mm-hmm. And so you, that helps you avoid getting too emotionally caught up in whatever it is you're working on because that can lead to some um, maybe some faulty decisions. Now I'm really disappointed about that soup, Kev. That sounded really good. I, he I sold, know. He sold, he me sold it, did he? I, mean, I know. Yeah, he sold I thought he was about to say, and we launch it. I'm three disappointed months. too. I just have to balance that with optimism about other ideas That's that I know right. are in the hopper. Yeah. Well, any other final thoughts, guys, as we wrap up? I think, you know, as, as a kind of a recap, we, uh, and Dave, I want you to say that principle again, but I think you need to have a system. You know, what, what it, there's probably the perfect system is the system that works with you. Amen. And it's okay to try things. And, you know, Kevin and I tried the action method for a while and we moved on. And uh, so I think it's helpful to have uh, some kind of system. And then, uh, you know, you're going to have to deal with, with ambiguity. Go ahead, Kev. Oh, no, I, didn't, oh, I was trying to cut you off. Oh, no, I thought I, you were I, like, hey, that, I got an that, idea. That, no, yeah. well, I was. I was. One thing David does 
um, with us that I think people can do for themselves. And, and Scott Belsky hits on this really a lot. I mean, the whole point of this book is saying, I want you to have a bias toward action. Yeah. He said projects can get bogged down in planning when projects are designed to organize action and organize activities that are actually taking place. And he, his whole point is, hey, you, you need to be capturing action steps. That is what guides everything. Your references should be supporting an action step. So the information you need should be around information you need to complete your action step. So David says, hey, Kevin, I can't do this for Launch University until I have this information. Those are references that support the action step. If you, I might be inspired by the action step. Well, that's a back burner connected to an action step. And so I love that. That one part in the book I think is really big. And so when uh, what people don't know is Dave is the unofficial scribe note taker for Launch University because his notes are so thorough. Actually, a person read our notes recently and said, who took these notes? And I, and I, and I said, this is the best meeting notes I've ever read. And I, and, I, and I was like, that's David Farmer. He gets all the credit for that. It's a personality disorder, actually. <laughs> but, 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 but I think the key thing is David does a great job of, of really doing a great job saying, hey, these are the action steps that came out of the conversation. The yeah. entire conversation was great, but it's worthless, unfortunately, if the action steps that came out of it aren't completed. And I want just to make sure everyone's thinking that way, saying no matter what methodology you're using, please take an orientation toward action. I am a recovering perfectionist, and I'm a person who, who, who was once called a dreamer who did nothing. I remember once point in, in college, I had a person sit down and say, hey, Kevin, I mean, you just have so many ideas. I just feel like all you do is dream about them. And that, and, and, and that hurt. I mean, I'll be honest, that hurt because as a dreamer, that's what the point of it is, is to make these dreams and these intentions become a reality. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing more hurtful to a dreamer than those things not getting out of you. Yeah. And I think this book was a big one for me and a couple other ones that said, hey, Kevin, if you can start to do the work and focus on the action step versus the perfect plan, you'll be okay. And I think when I made those changes my career and um, everything really changed for the positive. That's great. Can I give you two parting thoughts? Yes, Listening to Kevin reminds me, Jeff, we went out to Facebook yeah. um, with Shane, actually, mm -hmm. a couple of years back. Yeah. And I brought home a poster that said, done is better than perfect. Right. And there was another one about ship, something, it's got a ship. I can't remember the exact wording. Yeah, on that. I've actually got a picture of it somewhere. So, so we'll have to look that one up. Yeah. But Kevin, it was to your point that don't get so hung up in perfection that you miss the bigger picture. And we just need to get this thing out the door. There's always be, there will always be an opportunity to come back and refine. It's got to meet a minimum threshold, but let's get it out there. Absolutely. Uh, people want it. And then Jeff, the second thought, again, inspired by listening to Kevin, I think we have to guard against scope creep. Amen. Okay, because scope creep can take you off track. Are you, did you find it? No, but I was explain that for people that may okay, not be scope, familiar with scope, scope creep. Scope creep means you start out with one objective. You start moving down that path, and another idea comes into the mix, and it sort of veers. You, you take a little bit of a detour. Um, there's a lot to be said for writing out the outcome you're looking for, committing to it, making sure everybody's good with it. And then if there is pressure to go in another direction, don't do that without stopping and bringing the key sta stakeholders together and saying, 
Is this what we should do? Let's make a hard decision if it is. But otherwise, we need to park that idea for another day and stay focused on the original mission, the original scope, and get that done. Scope Creek can add so much time and, and, and add so much even to your budget because it's, it's just sideways energy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. So I got this. Uh, it's um, done is better than perfect. Stay focused and keep shipping. Move fast and break things. And fortune favors the bold. There was another one that says code wins arguments. So that's, that, that these are on the wall at, and then what would you do if you weren't afraid? That's on the wall. But I love the fact. You know, I that, think they worked reasonably well at Facebook. Yes. I think, they've, <laughs> I think they've done fairly, fairly well at that. And obviously the, the, the reason we wanted to talk about this is at the heart of Launch Universities, we want to take your intentions, your ideas, turn them into reality and sustain them. And that's what making ideas, bringing them to life is all about. So guys, before we go, Kev, you're always the expert at this. What do we want our listeners to do if they've not yet done this? I am happy to tell them. So once again, our whole goal behind Launch University is to be in your corner. I I mean, when you look on our website, we don't even call ourselves founders. We're mentors. We're only here to support what you're doing. So how can we do that? Subscribe to this podcast. We'd love to be part of your commute, a part of your workout, a part of your yard work. Um, So subscribe to the podcast. That means every Thursday we'll show up when you turn on your phone and update your iTunes. Uh, you can also go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review for the podcast. We actually care about your feedback. We actually read that feedback. If you tweet at us, Jeff will make sure we see your tweet. Guarantee that. <laughs> Jeff is perfect. He makes sure no tweet goes unnoticed. So we want to make sure that tells how you tells how you feel about the podcast, leave a rating or a review. The third thing you can do is go to the pod, go to our website and actually check out the show notes. If you go to launchu.net, launchu.net, y-o-u.net, that's, that's a redirect. It's pretty simple. I'm trying to keep it simple for you. Um, and you can go there and find every single uh, summary for every show we've put out over the past year and share with a friend. Don't be selfish. You, at the end of the day, you care about someone else in your life who has ideas and you've seen them struggle to overcome some particular obstacle that's standing between their vision and their reality. And so please share this podcast with them if you think it will be of some help to them. So, Can I add one little thing? Absolutely. This might be a shock to our listeners because they're obviously podcast listeners, but I run into people that have never listened to a podcast and they'll say, well, I hear about it, but what do you do? I say, let me see your phone. And I just take their phone, show them the button, show them how to subscribe, tell them it's all free. And so if some of our listeners, you may have family members, coworkers, friends that just need you to step in and, and kind of have a podcast intervention with them and show them how to get on the train. So let me encourage you to, to, to do that if you know somebody that needs that kind of help. And I don't know if you guys know this. I think when this podcast uh, airs, we will be officially one year old as a podcast. Wow. You know that? So I'm looking at our first one launched on September 26th, 2016. Come on. So I guess if you've made it this far in the podcast, we should like, could they email and we'll send them like uh, free uh, this new soup that won't happen or. um, You know, well, actually, now one thing I I will say is we have something special planned. Okay. They don't know this yet. Maybe you don't even know it yet because it's so so new, but we actually going to do something really cool at the end of the year for this to make sure you launch your ideas with with, with all the things you need, all the tools you need going into 2018. So please stay tuned. Keep listening to Launch University, and um, I guess we'll see you next week. Great. And happy one-year birthday, guys. Awesome. That's Come great. on. And I guess Shane won't know that because he's not here. Well, we'll tell him about it. All right. Thanks, as always, for being a part of Launch University. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. 
We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.